Welcome to the Brian P. Swift All Things Inspirational Show. Brian is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, and success coach. Are you ready to move your vision forward and be inspired every Wednesday a little afternoon? Here is your host, Brian P. Swift. Well, good afternoon, and thank you for joining us on this happy hump day. Another beautiful day. The sun's out. I know it's a little windy, but welcome to the Brian P. Swift, a.k.a. Quadfather Show. The inspirational place to be, and you will be hearing about the Inspiration Station. Uh, that is what, what I am rebranding as. But I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here to listen, and I hope you're having a great start to your new year. And I always kind of start with a quote, just a topic to get thinking about. And this one's about resilience. So choosing resilience turns what now into what's next. Think about that. When you have this resilient type of attitude, when you've built up this resilient slash grit type of way of going through life, you don't think about the what nows as much as the what's next. What's my next problem? What's the next issue? No, now it's what's the next opportunity? What's my next challenge that's going to make me stronger, better, faster, smarter, more caring, more giving, uh, you know, that's the way, that's the mindset I try to create in people. It's a much better mindset to have because, you know, mentally, you, your mentality has a powerful effect on your success. Uh, you know, like they say, it, it, it eventually it manifests in your results. They've got plenty of studies that show that, that also show that confident people go on and get better jobs. They make more money. They get promoted more more often and quicker than others. And learning to be confident is clearly important. But what's what truly confident people do that sets them apart from everybody else is the big question, right? What it, why are confident people confident? You know, what what do they go through? What do they have? And I don't believe it's because they have things possession. I believe it's because of what they've done, what they've created. They've been through failures. They've learned how to get back up after they've been knocked down. And I believe that's what it is. So they, the, I think the first thing is they, they learn to get happiness from within, right? Happiness is, cr- is a critical element of confidence. Because in order to be confident in what you do, I think you have to be happy with who you are. And I know that's difficult for a lot of people. Uh, being a C5, C6 quadriplegic confined to a wheelchair, I worked in corporate for years, worked in the law field for years, and I think it puzzled a lot of men who were, were uh, let's see how to put it, they, they weren't frustrated with my confidence, but they, they were curious as to how I could be so confident. And I can talk to that in time, but I really was blessed to be a very confident person, even though I had to do everything from a wheelchair, even though my hands didn't work, even though I didn't have balance, even though I, you know, I couldn't control my bowel or bladder. Um, you, you, the confidence is a mental aspect. It's something that you've sown into your heart because of your deeds and because of the things you do. So, 
people who brim with confidence derive their sense of pleasure and satisfaction, I think, from their own accomplishments as opposed to what other people think of their accomplishments. They know that no, ma- no matter what people say, you're never as good or as bad as people say you are. It's like life. Nothing's as bad or as good as it seems it is. It's somewhere in the middle. So uh, the other thing truly confident people do is they don't pass judgment. Confident people don't pass judgment on others because they know that everyone has something to offer. They know everybody could win. I'm a believer of a win, 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 you know, opportunities and attitude. They don't need to take people down. They want to take people with. They want to bring them up. They want to bring them to the top. I mean, I don't want to be on stage alone. I mean, I just don't, I, I don't see that as being a place of feeling good if you're up there alone. And I don't compare myself to others because that's very limiting. Confident people don't waste time sizing up other people and worrying about whether or not they measure up to everyone that they meet. I couldn't do that. I, it was from sitting in a wheelchair. I couldn't. All I did was worry about that one person staring back at me. And if I could control that person staring back at me, make them better and make them better through a lot of failures and a lot of hard times, I knew that eventually I would have a gritty, confident person staring back at me. So I think that is extremely important. And I think it's something that uh, everybody needs to work on. Another thing they do is they don't say yes unless they really want to. So research conducted at a university said that you're more likely to experience stress and burnout and even depression um, if you do not learn how to say no. Saying no is healthy. And they have that self-esteem to make their no's clear. So when it comes time to say no, confident people avoid phrases such as, I don't think I can, or I'm not certain, I'm not sure, I'll get back to you. They know for certain they don't, and they answer the question with certainty. And even though they may feel they're letting the person down, it is the best way to be upfront and deal with people. So, and lastly, uh, I think confident people tend to listen more than they speak. You find out that, uh, let's see, we were given two ears and one mouth. Why? So that we could listen more than we speak. That's why we were given two ears and one mouth. The other problem I think people, some people have is they don't listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to respond. I know I'm guilty of that occasionally. But people with confidence listen more than they speak because they don't feel as though they have anything to prove. Confident, confident people know that by actively listening and paying attention to others, they're more likely to learn and grow instead of seeing this interaction as opportunity to prove themselves. You know, they focus on the interaction itself because they know it's far more enjoyable and productive. It's a better approach to people. And that is, I believe, uh, one of the other things that truly confident people do is they listen. Uh, I, I believe that you, you can learn so much. I tell uh, a lot of my clients that you, you never want to be the smartest man in the room. 
Why? Because if you're the smartest man in the room, you really have nothing to gain by being there. So it may, it may seem silly, but it's not. It's truly proven. You really don't want to be that guy, be all alone, be standing there, and, and, and be the smartest guy. I never worried about being the smartest guy, the best-looking guy, the tallest guy, because let's be honest, all, all, a lot of the things that bother us are things we can't control. So let's focus on the things we can control and then go after those things. And I think several other things that help you along that path are goals. Um, I'm a big believer in writing your goals down. I'm also a big believer in a vision board. I've used a vision board for years, um, even with some of the sales professionals that I worked with. Uh, years back, I would create a board for each one of them, and it wouldn't really be their necessarily just a goal, but it would be the steps that it takes to that goal. Because you have to celebrate little wins in life. You know, we we have to learn to enjoy some of the small victories, which are just stepping stones to more success, stepping stones to more confidence. So there are these little calm speed bumps and how you use them, how you view them, how you see them makes a difference. Um, you can view them as a stepping stone, right? Or you could view it as a speed bump. And that view is again, going back to our minds starts to create. And it's something I'll talk about later. This, this way you think about things. You know, and instead of saying, you know, that's a problem, that's, you know, you say that's opportunity. And it's it's really programming ourselves. And I have a supercharged man coming up uh, in, a, in, in, a, in a couple moments. Uh, his name is Ed Cavanaugh. He is an Ironman um, from the sense of the word of Ling and what he does. Uh, if, if he could do the climbing and swimming and other things. I'm sure him and I would be competing alongside each other, but he, he truly is an Ironman. But first, let's hear a little bit from sponsors. Uh, I have some amazing sponsors. I've been blessed. We're looking for more because we'd like to continue our show. So if you're interested in sponsoring this inspiration station, uh, please reach out to me, and we'd love to talk to you about uh, helping your business or help, helping you as an entrepreneur get a little bit reach out there. But from now, let's for now let's listen to our sponsors, and then when we come back, we will put Ed on the line. Spurt.com. Welcome back. I'm glad you're back. And who doesn't love the who? And a little bit of who are you? 
you, you've got to love the music from those times. If you don't, I don't know what to tell you, but we have a, I'll tell you who this is. This is Ed Kavanaugh, supercharged uh, Iron Man uh, from the South Suburbs. Ed, welcome to the show. Hello, good afternoon. Thanks for having me on. Oh, wow, there's so many things to talk about. And uh, Ed, like myself, enjoys life from a wheelchair. Uh, he's a paraplegic. And, you know, just to give a little backstory behind Ed, uh, because his backstory is not for me, and I, I hope for the listeners, isn't near as important as his story going forward. So, you know, Ed broke his back in a snowmobile accident, I believe, and and became a a paraplegic rod in the back, dealt with the whole, you know, going from, you know, agile, mobile, and uh, living the dream, living or at least rocking the dream and, and, and chasing the dream to uh, much like myself, uh, you know, being being kind of uh, shut down, come to a, come to a hard stop, and and that isn't near as important as what he's done after it happened. And Ed, that's what I that's what I really want to talk to you about. I, I know there's lots of topics along this road. How long have you been disabled? My anniversary is coming up next week. It'll be 19 years that I've been paralyzed. All righty. Tell me you don't celebrate that day. Come on. You don't. I see so many people celebrating that. It's just another day. I, honestly, I don't. I see it as another day. There's been quite a few days and or years, I'm sorry, that have passed that I completely forgot it was even a day. I realized it the very next day or the day after that. Um, I just go about my daily activity. I don't, I don't dwell on the of my injury. If I did, that, it'd probably make me go insane. Exactly. You know, uh, mine happened the day after Christmas. And Christmas comes and goes, and I still get call like from my mom or dad, "How you doing?" Not that day. It's like the day, like two days after Christmas, and whatnot. And I know they're thinking about it, and and whatnot. And I'll get that call, and I could hear it in their voice. They're like, you know, "How you doing?" And you know, feeling good. You know, is everything okay? You know, what's you know what's new? And I could t- I could tell they're doing that check, and God bless them. But uh, yeah, it's a day I don't celebrate either. It is it, it's a day, but. Uh, you've been able to get by that by continue, by jumping back into life. So why don't you tell us a little about that um, jump back into life after your accident? So I was injured in 2003, and um, once I was able to be mobile again, drive a vehicle, which was in the same year, it was later in the winter that I was certified to drive with hand controls on a vehicle, um, I decided I wanted to volunteer mentor people that had been injured like I did at the Rehab Institute of Chicago. So I went through the necessary steps and I was able to mentor people. So they would call me um, a couple of times a month to come, come down and talk to, you know, freshly injured people and explain the possibilities still of life. Yes, it's very different. And every level of your injury is different from a paraplegic to a quadriplegic like you are. But there's the possibilities are, are tremendous and even more so now as the years have progressed since 2003 of what you can still do. Exactly. And, and, you know, we took similar, I did the same thing. Um, it is now called the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab, for those that don't know, but for many years, it and still is the one of the top rehab centers for spinal cord injuries and tra- traumatic brain injuries, uh, Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago, RIC. I did the same thing. I went down there and mentored. I'd go down there and talk about all the different forms of exercise I was doing 
so many people think you have to go to a facility to get therapy and exercise. And yet I know you, and I know I'm skipping ahead. You found that path of mental exercise, spiritual exercise, emotional exercise, not in going to a center, but outdoors, correct? Correct, yes. So tell us about that. Tell us about, so I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit. So you went to RIC, you mentored, and then where did your path take you? From there, actually, I got into adaptive sports, and I was a volunteer coach for um, uh, Bay District School District in uh, New Lenox, Illinois. So I did it for a while with kids that were either born in a wheelchair, you know, with a wheelchair, or uh, they you know, sustained a spinal cord injury like I did. So uh, that was was very fulfilling to me, um, just to kind of learn as from a child because I was 23 when I got hurt. So I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't. Any, anywhere around anyone that was disabled, I, I mean, I never really paid attention to it. And of course, once you're injured, you start to. So, I, uh, <laughs> I that, that was a thing that I really enjoyed doing. And and help others, you really do help yourself, don't you? I mean, it is. I'll call it. It, it is self-serving to some degree because there is a joy and there is a, a feeling you don't get in in other way than you do with helping others. I don't know if you experienced that when you were coaching. Absolutely. I'd, I'd see it even in the parents' faces and even in the, the guests that come and attend all the games for basketball, wheelchair basketball, and wheelchair softball that I was involved in with coaching. Awesome. And then from there, where, what uh, would you do? Well, from there, I started having some health issues related to the process only that kind of kind of set me back uh Actually, a few years. It, it, it's accumulated at this point. A few years broken up, not all at once. But uh, the most recently, was, uh, I, I sustained a bed sore, pressure sore um, that I, I have no feeling on my on my mend, and <clears throat> I was bedridden for 292 days. So that was that was mentally grueling on myself, uh, physically also. And I got into hand cycling this past spring. I've had my hand cycle since 2005, and um, I uh, I got out in May of this year, and I, I just I wanted to make an objective goal to myself that to ride the bike as much as I possibly could. Um, once I got comfortable and, and started, you know, relearning those muscle groups again, because it's strictly all arms. You sit on the bike; it's got 27 speeds, no motors on the motor. My arms, my back, my chest. I think that's that's the muscle power there. Um, I ended up achieving uh, just under 3,000 miles. Uh, I just actually rode again just a few about a week ago, maybe nine days ago, I think. Um, since April of 2020, I, I had started in April 2020 on the bike again, or in the beginning, I'm sorry. And uh, I came close to 4,800 miles. And then it got the pressure sore, bed sore in August, and it put me down. And it put me down for a long time. So you spent almost 10 months on your stomach, slash possibly sides, uh, in and out of facilities um, to get some treatment because, as we know, uh, bed sores slash pressure sores um, are a, a bugger to heal. Um, they they just take so much time, and because of our conditions, it even slows it up more. Uh, and and we have to obviously adapt mentally to what would tra- would traumatize and drive most people crazy. So the average person spent ten months laying on their stomach. 
confined, you know, in and out of a facility confined to several rooms in the house. That would be an amazing thing to, I want, I, I loved, I, I don't wish it on anybody by any stretch, but um, you, how did you deal with it? I mean, because we talked through that, stayed in touch. Uh, right. I never saw you bitter. I never saw you pissed off. I never saw you feel sorry for yourself. Um, I never, and I'm not saying you didn't have down days, but we all do. We're human. Um, but you dealt with it in, in such an amazing fashion. What helped you deal with that? Mentally staying focused. I know my capabilities. I know what my body can achieve. Um, like you mentioned earlier, it is, it's very hard to heal a pressure sore when you're paralyzed. Your brain literally doesn't know those muscles to, to activate the muscles or can't. So you, you have decreased blood flow as it is being paralyzed. And then even more so when you're laying down, I mean, you're really, you get no range of motion. You, I was hooked up to a wound vac. Um, that's negative pressure through a mechanical, like a suctional device to keep the infection away. Uh, I was very lucky. I was, I was adamant about taking care of myself along with a team of home nurses that would come in periodically throughout the week to have to check out the bandages on the wound vac and whatnot. Um, but I did have a very long stretch of zero infection that the doctors and wound care team were very impressed with. Um, so just you got to stay mentally focused is what it is. Um, people come in and they see me, which was that was tough because of COVID. So of course I kept everyone. If they came in, they didn't come within ten feet of me. They had masks on. They had you know all the PPE gear that was necessary. I wasn't taking that chance with open wound um, of getting even more sick than I had already been in the beginning. Um, but that that's the biggest thing is is you don't want to have like a fake smile on your face ever. You you want to be straight up positive. And and yeah, I did have my days when I was down. But when I had those days when I was down, I'd reach out to someone like you talk to or close friends of mine or family members or mom and dad, you know, and they would get me going again. And I'd, I'd mentally block it out and just, you know what, flip it around and make myself smile happy and everything's going to be fine. It's just going to take a while for things to get back to normal again is all. Awesome. So the, the hardest part for you must have been not having a savage tan and keeping your shirt on. <laughs> Yeah. So for, so for those of you that don't know, I'm always giving Ed grief because he's in great shape. I, I've got more of a dad bod. Ed's got more of a 25-year-old athletic bod. And whenever he's out riding, he has a shirt off. So he has this savage tan and that I'm jealous about, no doubt. And uh, so I'm always giving him a little grief about does he have a shirt on, does he have a shirt off? And uh, obviously, spending ten months prone, uh, your tan had to go away, man. That had to be tough. How'd you do with the loss of tan? The tan didn't bother me. That I, I that would come back eventually too. I was late majority of winter time. Um, the reason I wear I don't wear a shirt when I'm riding majority of the time is because, like you, Ryan, you know, when you're paralyzed, you don't sweat below your paralysis. Those glands are forever paralyzed, so it's very difficult to control your body temperature. So when I would hit the bike paths, and I, you know, I live in the south suburbs. Um, very close to downtown Tinley Park. I would ride to Lamont, Illinois. I would ride to Crestwood. I would ride to Palos, to Lake Cass, all in one loop every single day, unless weather was really bad with rain and thunderstorms. But I would ride early in the morning to avoid that heat, just for that reason, because I can't sweat. No, I, so, I get it. And what and people don't realize, people like us don't sweat, which means, you know, the reason you sweat is to cool off your body. I mean, that is the main reason. And because we don't sweat, because that is part of the neurological system and our nerves are paralyzed, what happened, What could happen to us is basically stroke out 
Um, that, that's what happens. Your body temperature builds up, your heart races, and you get what is called autonomic dysreflexia. I've had it. You've probably had it. It's, it's just pushing your body to a point. So a lot of times I'm sitting outside um, putting water on my head. I am, you know, just keeping, trying to keep my body temperature down. So it's just one of those hidden things that we deal with. It's not just sitting in the chair. Our legs don't work, um, especially as a quad. My hands don't work. I cannot hold, you know, none of my fingers really have any movement. Um, you know, very little tricep movement, but you do what you have to do, right? And that's what you did. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you have no choice in the matter. Um, I did make a mistake one time. I went out and it was 105 in the heat index. I was a good distance from the house and I started literally cooking myself. My skin was beet red, so much so that I had to stay in the house then for three days because if the sun came near my skin, it was like third degree burn. I should probably had medical attention, but I didn't. I, I stood out and I was good to go and within 72 hours. I was very, very lucky, but it that was dangerous at that time on the hand bike. Well, that'll te- teach you to keep your shirt on, if nothing else. But I've been there, not with so much burning myself, but overheating. And what people don't realize, I could come in and put my head in the cold water, and it just doesn't cool your body off. It could take my body easily 24 to 36 hours to cool down to normal temperature. So Absolutely. You, get out of the, you get out of the rehab after spending all this time losing your tan, not being able to show off those arms, and you come home and what you're like, you get home and now what? So now you're at home and what's your mindset? What's your thought process? Where, where are you taking yourself now that you're, you're out, you're, not totally healed, but you're good enough to be at home. What are you? What are you thinking? I was thinking the hand bike just to get my strength back. I was, was struggling with my transfers. I was struggling and taking my chair apart to get into my vehicle to go about my daily needs of grocery shopping. It was difficult to push the shopping cart, and I didn't like that. And I knew I had to get myself back into you know do a, a, a strength, you know, good shape again. So I knew that if the hand bike was my was my that was my go-to. I had the hand bike already. I've had it since 2005. I just hadn't ridden it in a long time. So I, I dug it back, cleaned it all up, put some new tires on there, changed all my cables and whatnot, and I set out. And I started out very slow, where I was only riding a few miles each day for about two weeks, and then I just kept progressing more and more. The next thing you know, I'm, I'm pounding through the bike path in a matter of an hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes, and I've ridden 23, 24 miles. Some of my rides, I've ridden as far as 55, 56 miles in only four and a half hours, and that's one big loop all the way back to my house where I start. And then one of your meathead friends asks you to help with the fundraiser by riding as much as you can, right? Exactly. But that was, that was a very benefiting thing for the both of us. You pushing your wheelchair so what, numerous miles. Yes. I was riding the hand. So what happened? Is, yeah. And, and what happened is, uh, Ed, was using his hand cycle. I was using my wheelchair and we were trying to raise money for a 501 C three nonprofit called soar, which is swift outdoor accessible recreation. What we do is we help get people with disabilities equipment that insurance won't pay for, which is pretty much anything outside your wheelchair. Correct. Yes. 100% the adaptive equipment for sports, stuff like that, or even just leisure activity is very outrageously expensive. So I went to Ed and I knew he was out of the hospital and I said, let's do a, let's, let's do a virtual fundraiser. I am trying to get rid of the dad bod 
and get in shape, you know, more shape like Ed, um, with or without a shirt, I might add. And Ed is trying to get back on his feet, so to say, and back in the condition he was. So we put a, we put a little tracking board together, and for every mile Ed did on his hand bike, I would, I would have to do, for every five miles Ed did, I would have to do a mile um, in my wheelchair just to offset the difference of bicycle versus wheelchair. So I didn't go near as far as Ed. I think I was up to about 700 miles over the summer, but you, you, you crushed it. You finished the race. Kind of had this little virtual board with two two people in chairs, and and that crushed it. Um, like you said, some days going you know far surpassing twenty miles, thirty miles. Um, so I thought I kept up at first, but then we started going uphill, and it's way easier uphill, even on a board. Um, it's easier uphill for those those damn hand cyclers. But uh, he, he helped raise money for SOAR, which we greatly appreciate. It's a great cause. It's a 501c3 nonprofit. Check us out online, soarnonprofit.com. And what we do is we nine, over nine cents on every dollar goes right back into buying somebody like Ed new tires or getting his hand cycle serviced. Insurance doesn't pay for that. And without that, Ed, you, you called it. What, how would you feel if you didn't have all these leisure activities to do? Uh, honestly, I don't know what I would. I mean, I enjoy woodworking and stuff like that. I uh, have a construction background. I worked construction. I was in the union when I broke my back. So I probably keep myself busy with that. I did a little bit in the beginning after I was hurt, but I kind of got frustrated because I couldn't make bigger objects like I'd like to make. I couldn't pick up certain heavy things. A lot of the, the tools in my shop, the garage, were dangerous, especially a table saw because it's a chest height. If something came back, I mean, it's going to hit me and it's going to do some major damage. <laughs> so, um, I, honestly, I'm not sure. I mean, uh, having the adaptive equipment they have now, I mean, even my hand cycle, I call it my antique. It's, it's literally antique. Uh, it's like riding around on a Model A when you look at it. But to me, it's not because I'm used to it. But the stuff they have now is literally it's like a Lamborghini. The, the hand cycles are so far advanced compared to what I have now. It's just amazing. But it costs that stop me from wanting to make that purchase. Uh, if I lived in a sunshine state of Florida, yeah, I probably would. But you have limited riding time around here in the Midwest. So this kind of money is like, ugh, I mean, yeah, you're getting the benefit of super cardiovascular to work on, super strength of your muscles, and just be out in society. I've met so many people on the bike path. I've inspired so many people on the bike path that we've actually exchanged phone numbers, and we just check on each other here and there with phone calls because we know that we can't be out because the weather's too cold. But once that weather changes, I'm going to start seeing all those faces again. On an average day that I would ride, thousand people smiling back at me early in the morning. You honestly, you can't ask for a better start to your day than something like that people don't even know, and they're just they're happy as ever to be out there, just as as I, as I was to be out there on the bike path. Awesome, and just to give people an idea of costs, what is I'm not talking the Lamborghini of of hand cycles, but give us a range of costs for a new decent, you know, top, you know, middle, low middle, low middle to somewhat near top of the line. Hand cycle. What are the costs involved? If you go with a hybrid model, which you can ride it on the pavement or you can take it off trail, uh, about $9,000, $10,000. They go as high as $18,000. And insurance won't touch any of that. That's all out of pocket. They don't see it as a necessity, which I don't understand because you're bettering your health. You're keeping yourself from potentially having pressure sores like I did. 
Um, you know, it just you know, cardiovascular is important when you're paralyzed because you, your limbs are paralyzed. So your flow is very restricted. So to get that heart rate pumped and hard is, is very, very, you know, you have a lot of blood clots. Um, you might not get as much atrophy in your muscles and stuff and whatnot, even though you can't move them. So uh, why they don't cover stuff like that, I can never, can never understand. No, I agree with you. And, and just think about it, 10,000 to say 15,000 for a hand cycle. And you're right. If you look through the Midwest, you're able to use it, let, let's say, six months a year. And now you got six months a year like we do now where and I actually got out to the gym a couple times last week and we'll continue to push each other because we're kind of cut out of the same mold, which is awesome to have and, and whatnot. So uh, without your ability to drive, which insurance doesn't pick up, without your ability to hand cycle, which insurance doesn't pick up, without your ability to you know have friends and family to get into your your uh, pool in the back uh, without bands, without you know um, ropes to that uh, you know weighted ropes that again insurance doesn't pay for. That leaves you very stranded, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It definitely does. And like it, it seems, anything that's related to with a disability or any kind of even just wheelchair in general, the fitness equipment that's adapted for us, everything's so expensive. It's very expensive to purchase. And majority is not covered at all by insurance. Just don't recognize it. So, well, we, you did a job on our, our, our virtual riding fundraiser and you continued to rock through the, uh, through the rest of the year, even up until we had some beautiful weather. So let me ask you this, um, not to, not, not you just in wrapping it up, what advice would you tell somebody new? Somebody new, whether they're, uh, a para, paraplegic like yourself, a quadriplegic like myself, whether they're in their teens, 20s, or 30s, what several pieces of advice would you tell them? First off, you have to learn your body. Like you mentioned earlier in, in, the, in the, the broadcast, and, uh, the, our, you know, our, our, our bodies are, are paralyzed. The bowel, bladder, all starts all paralyzed. So you, you need to relearn your body and kind of basically train your body to stop the frustrations of the impossible accidents that are going to happen a lot in the beginning and your body wants to adapt so you don't do that no more. Um, from there, research, a lot of research. Um, especially ask where you are for either your patient therapy or outpatient therapy. If there's any mentors that are in wheelchairs, you know, that have the experience like me and you, Brian, to come in and talk to them and just explain to them that, you know, this what to expect now for the rest of your life, basically, because... Most people, when they're diagnosed as being paraplegic or quadriplegic, you're like that forever. There's there's a very small percentage that do get up and walk again, but not many. Um, from there, no, I would I get in some kind of adaptive sports, um, or either do quad rugby, you know, for for a quadriplegic like you, or, or get into baseball or basketball that's adapted, you know, with the wheelchairs, like you know, for someone that's paraplegic like me, it's very important to stay active. You don't want to get super heavy because it puts a tremendous stress on your shoulders, your transfers, it's just not good. I mean, you're already, you're already dealing with a lot of paralyzed organs and you're putting even more stress on them when you're not taking care of yourself and eating healthy and, and drinking you know, plenty of water throughout the day and whatnot. Awesome. Now, have you, you, so you've been paralyzed almost 20 years. Have you seen a change in the disability community? Like, and if so, what are the changes you've seen and not good or bad? The biggest thing that I've noticed more so in the last decade or so 
is you don't see anyone out in wheelchairs. Like in the beginning, I don't know if it was just, I was more aware because I was in a wheelchair myself. So I wanted to, you know, almost right away approach them and ask them, you know, what's your level of injury? Where do you live? How long have you been in a wheelchair? You know, most of us are okay with being asked that, but some people, maybe they're not. But if people come up and ask me any perfectly able-bodied stranger, I'm more than happy to tell them it doesn't bother me. I, I want to educate people. I want them to understand. Right. I feel the same way. Um, I don't mind inquisitive people. Um, it, it's understandable. As you said, we don't see many of us out there, and there's a lot of reasons for that. That could be an, another five shows talk about those reasons, and, and, and we're not going to get into that. What is your feeling on paraplegics using electric wheelchairs? That um, That's kind of a touchy subject because by looking at it, you don't necessarily I, know. I know it is. That, that's why you want to stir it up. Right. Why they or why it might have actually have no choice but to use it. They might have previous shoulder injuries where their rotator cuffs are just completely destroyed and they just don't have the strength to push and are in a tremendous amount of pain. They can't push their wheelchair the right way. Some people are just, they're lazy. I mean, they just say they, they, they want the easy way out. They want the you know, pity party kind of thing because they're paralyzed. So they want everyone to do everything for them, help them. And, and then, of course, they take advantage of the mechanical device to sit in there and push a little joystick and kind of pull yourself around. I mean, me personally, and you know how it is too, man, you're 40 years, you know, over 40 years now. You basically, you've been in a wheelchair since I've been born. I was born in December. You were hurt in December of 79. And you don't have an electric wheelchair. And I absolutely love that. I think it is, you have no power assist. You do on your wheels occasionally, but even like, you're not using it no more. You're using your own strength, which is, I think that's great. I feel like that's the best possibility ever. And honestly, we're going to get, we're going to hurt our shoulders, right? I'm going to hurt our elbows. My elbows and shoulders hurt every day. I mean, after 40 years of transferring, I transfer in to drive my van. I don't sit in my wheelchair transferring in beds, transferring in cars, eventually you do hurt yourself, just like you would if you had a physical labor job, right? Mm-hmm. It's inevitable. I hurt my elbow in August, end of August on the hand bike, and it was bad. And I probably should have had therapy or, or looked at it by the doctor, and I was like, nah, I'll be okay. I'll do my range of motion on the bike, and I'll try not to you know, keep that repetitive range of motion over and over so I don't do any more damage. And I thought I was good to go. And the last two times I've ridden my bike, I've re-injured it. I've re-aggravated that elbow joint. I don't know if it's in the joint or in the tendons or muscle or what, but it's bothering me, and I'm sure it's going to continue to get worse. Yeah, but it it hasn't put you in an electric wheelchair because you're learning how to deal with it and cope with it. And and as you said, you have to learn your body, and you have to learn how much you can push it and then how to recover from it. Absolutely. Well, as we know, nobody lives free from suffering or loss. I mean, it is what it is. It's outside our hands. You didn't get hurt doing something silly or bonehead. I didn't either. Um, not that that matters, but I'm glad I didn't. You know, I'm, I'm glad it wasn't something that I shouldn't have been doing. Um, I believe everybody has their own cross that they bear. Ours we can see, the wheelchair. But, you know, it's it's not the weight of it. It's It's how you carry it. And in my opinion, recovery, the way you pushed yourself, the way you've pushed your life, um, the way you've taught others and mentored others is, is so worth the struggle. What do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, you know what it is, Brian? It's all discipline. It all boils down to 100% discipline. You have, you have to discipline yourself. And once you, once you just continually do that, even freshen your injury, you can convince yourself and discipline yourself. 
next thing you know, like, I, I mean, honestly, I can't believe it's been 19 years that I'm in a wheelchair. Like, I remember when I first got hurt, I would ask people, and they'd be like, oh, I've been in a chair for 18 years, and I would, wow. Like, I, I was just blown away. That seemed like such a long time to me. And I look back now, it's 19 years for me, and it's like, where did the time go? I can't believe how fast it goes by. I know. But you kept your life busy. You worked. You were involved with uh, volunteering. You dated. You, you had your own activities. You went back to life. And that's why it is flown by. And before I go any further, Ed, I uh, need to hear from our sponsors. So what we're going to do is hear a quick from our sponsors, and then we'll come back on air. So thank you again, sponsors. Thanks, Ed. Don't leave. And uh, you'll hear more, more from myself and Ed afterward from our sponsors. Well, thank you and welcome back to Ed Cavanaugh and Brian P. Swift, a.k.a. the Quad Father. You are listening to the Inspiration Station. And we've learned so much from you, Ed. Uh, thank you for sharing the time and don't leave. But I, I wanted to share another inspirational story uh, of what's possible uh, out there for people who are disabled. And, and it's just people who are disabled. I am a motivational speaker and a life coach, and I work with more people that don't have disabilities than I do that do have disabilities, which always blew my mind because um, I really tried to work with people with disabilities um, without having to charge them. And I'm, I'm amazed at the amount of people that don't take me up on offers. Um, but you know what, you know, you can lead a horse to water and uh, that's all we can do, which I, I don't mind leading horses to water. I just wish we can get more of them drinking, but every year soar helps sponsor a handicapped deer hunt down in Carbondale. Carbondale, Illinois, uh, the end of the state by the Shawnee National Forest. Southern Illinois University does an awesome job of of loaning of loaning this organization land to hunt on. Not not SOAR, another organization that we partner with, land, and they do a handicap hunt from the the, the day after Thanksgiving till Sunday. And what's amazing is the variety of people. We get paras, we get quads, we get vets, we get amputees. We have, we have two seated people blind. One of them, they can't drive. The one gentleman is probably in his late fifties. He has been going there for probably, I think 12, 15, 12 years, let's say. And he hunts with his daughter. And, and, and this is just what I find amazing. So th this gentleman hunts with a crossbow. He hunts out of, of a, a ground blind with his daughter. And the first year I went, I didn't, I didn't get any shots off and saw some deer just not within range. In the next year, I got a, a small doe, which was awesome. Um, it's just a good feeling, too. We eat the meat, make jerky and whatnot. But uh, the same year, this gentleman pulls in his 4 by 4 and he's got like an eight-point buck. You know, and you're looking at it going, um, how, how, you know, how? You know, and whatnot, and I mean, he is the uh, the humblest person. And I, after a year or two, get around to talking with his daughter, and and him, and he, he works at like a clock. So here he is. Uh, I went. I went uh, before COVID. We went, 
and I got skunked nothing. And this gentleman scores another four point buck. Uh, he, he worked like the clock, 12 o'clock, you know, uh, three o'clock, five o'clock, 40 yards out, 30 yards out. And this gentleman, I think I've only seen him one or two years not get a deer. And it just goes to tell you, you know, show you how, how bad you want it. How bad do you want that feeling? How bad do you want to have that, have that event, have, be able to go out with your daughter or whoever that person is and share that time with And this guy just doesn't go out to say he goes out. This dude goes out to get a deer every year. And this dude gets more than one deer many years, which still blows my mind. Still, uh, there's nothing worse than you know, leaving a deer hunt with nothing in your trunk or on your carrier and you know, here is this gentleman that's leaving, and has no sight, and he's you know got a he's got a rack hanging from his from his truck, and God bless him, uh, I'm happy for him. But I think it's such a neat story. He's such a, a neat gentleman. He's humble. He is. Um, he's fun. He loves life, and he gets out there every year and just tries. And Ed, as you and I know, we've talked about a. a creating a disability movement because, you know, as people, as members, I'll call us members because we've, we've been disabled on it's members of largest and most diverse of all minority groups. We do represent the largest spectrum of race, gender diversity in the United States, that being the physically challenged, the physically disabled. And within our ranks, we have, you know, men, women, children, we have military, we have civilians, uh, you name it. We, we are a community that is truly represented by all social, and, uh, racial, and economic groups. We just seem to get overlooked um, in this period of so much talk about inclusion and, and, and creating diversity and whatnot. Um, do, you find, do you see that out there, too? Absolutely, 100%, yes. Even more so now. So you're feeling it's worse now than it, it might have been even before. Again, I don't know if it's just because I'm more aware and I'm, and I'm paying a lot more attention to it than I did, you know, in the past. Because in the past, it, everything's new to you when you're paralyzed. You know, it's it's a whole new, right. whole new way. Like your eyes were closed for a long time and reopened, and it was like, wow, your life your life changes completely changes, and you and, you know. I get it, and I agree with you. I, I know we've talked about trying to create a movement, and not that there's not movements out there. Christopher Reeves was a great spokesperson, brought so much light, so much help, so much focus to spinal cord injury community. And unfortunately, even though, unfortunately, him and his wife have passed, even though the, the, the Christopher and Dana Reeves Foundation exists, that voice is no longer there. And he was such a powerful voice. And I would love to help create a, a voice that's uh, loud enough to get people's attention. And I would love to see it backed by more people, your attitude, with your mind, with your spirit, you know, with your drive. And then maybe one day we'll get that going. Uh, it'll, be a, it'll be another challenge. I know we talk often about challenges and, and, and trying to do more, and we will continue up that road. Um, I'd like to thank you for coming on and being our guest. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep making a difference. Keep challenging yourself. 
Um, thank you so much. And as you know, we will touch base. We'll talk. We'll figure out. Uh, it's a new year for all of us, a new year for SOAR, new year for Ed, new year for me. I know I'd love to get a hand cycle and get out there with you. I don't know if I'd have my shirt off as much as you do. Then we'd be being chased probably by the women. Um, you know, but uh, we'll, we will enjoy it as we continue our journey. So thanks, Ed, for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. I just wanted to put in real quick, if anyone is on Facebook and, and goes along with Facebook, you can find me on there on the Boundless Society. It's a group page that I put together about my hand cycling. It shows all my accomplishments that I've done since May. There's numerous videos. Um, I was very fortunately gifted through store, Brian's uh, nonprofit foundation, a GoPro. So I strap it to the bike and uh, it's videos as I ride to uh, help raise the awareness of how super important it is to hand bike while you're paralyzed. Thank you, everybody. Ed, Ed thank you again. Ed has some amazing videos um, that he shares with us and the community in general. So check out the Boundless Society. Uh, also on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you could find uh, SOAR, nonprofit.com and myself, um, brianpswift.com. Everybody have a great day and God bless. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.